Uh, well, I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, to open them to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible and would like to use one, we have them uh, in the back of the pew there in front of you. The black book is the Bible. We're going to be in James chapter 1 today. We just started this uh, series in James back uh, a couple of weeks ago. You may remember that two weeks ago we uh, considered who James is, of the different Jameses in the Bible, which one is, is the one that wrote this book, and, and we decided that it was the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and, and Joseph. Um, and then last week, you may remember, we looked at the first, uh, or the second, third, and fourth verses in chapter one. And in those verses, we saw uh, how God is, is using trials and uh, sicknesses and, and difficulties and different things in our lives to, uh, to make us into uh, complete, mature uh, believers. He said that those trials produce steadfastness, and steadfastness, when it has its full work, will produce maturity and, and the complete uh, mature believer. And I don't know if you were thinking this last week, or, or maybe you've been thinking throughout the week about that sermon, um, and that's, that's good, right? We, we believe that, we believe that that's true, and that sounds really good, um, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, that's not, maybe not as easy to do as it is to hear and, and believe and trust, right? Even this morning in Sunday school, before we came upstairs, we, uh, we took some prayer requests in our, in our Sunday school class, and I'm not gonna uh, name these people for just for confidentiality reasons, but we had, uh, we had one person ask for us to pray for a one-year-old baby who's just been diagnosed with a very rare brain disease, and the family's just learning that their uh, one-year-old may never walk or, or talk. We, uh, someone asked us to pray for a family here in our church where uh, the father, the husband, has just found out that he has something wrong with his heart and doesn't know what it is yet. He's going in for some testing uh, soon, but, but doesn't know what it is. And so he and his whole family are, are anxious and worried of, about what that could be and how serious could it be and what could that mean. Um, we had someone ask us to pray just for, for the people in our, in, in our, in our lives, our, our families, our friends, and then others in our nation who are just worried right now and, and, and unhappy. Specifically, he said, I want to pray for unhappy people. And, and we know with everything that's happening right now, um, with the coronavirus, with uh, political things, with financial problems, with all kinds of things going on right now, people are, are just kind of unhappy and, and anxious and, and worried and, and don't know what to think and don't know what to believe and don't know what to, what to do and don't know how to plan and, and, and all these kind of things. And so when, when bad things happen to us, when, when trials come and when, uh, when difficulties come, we know that we should trust in the Lord, right? We know that we should um, count it all joy, as, as James says. We know that God's working and using those things and that they're producing uh, these things in us. They're producing steadfastness in us, and then steadfastness is going to have its full uh, effect and, 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 and make us complete and perfect, lacking nothing. We know those things. And yet, if we're honest, sometimes it's hard to live that truth. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, even though we know it. Sometimes it's hard to act that way, even though, even though we confess that, that we know it, right? And so in the passage we want to look at this morning, James is going to kind of build on what he, where he ended last week with verse 4, and, and he's going to kind of tell us how, how we do this. In verse 4, he tells us that, that we're going to become complete, perfect, lacking nothing, that trials are going to have their... They're going to produce steadfastness, which has that effect. But today we want to look at how does that happen. 
And so let's look at uh, verse 5, and we're going to read down through verse 8. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we're going to look at this passage today, and I've kind of broken it down into, into three sections, three points, if you, if you will, if you're taking notes. And the first point is uh, wisdom needed. Wisdom needed. Uh, the second point, or the second section, is wisdom requested. Wisdom requested. And then the third point, the third section, is wisdom given. Wisdom needed, wisdom requested, and wisdom given. And so first of all, at the very beginning of verse 5, we see that we have a need for wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom. And so this brings up a really good question. Uh, kind of, kind of, one, of the, one of the main things we need to look at today is what does that even mean? What is wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, we should do something, right? Well, what is wisdom? What is he talking about? How do we know if we lack it or not? Well, he's not talking about knowledge, I don't think. He's not talking about just information. He's not talking about intelligence. Specifically, he's talking about wisdom. And, and, and so what is wisdom? Well, we may think of wisdom a couple different ways, uh, but a good definition for wisdom, I think, is wisdom is not just having information, having, uh, having knowledge, these kind of things. Wisdom is knowing when and how to put that knowledge and information to use. Wisdom is knowing when and how to put knowledge and information to use in the world where we live, right? You might have heard people talk about someone before, maybe someone talked about you like this before, but there's a difference between being book smart and having common sense, right? Somebody can be really, really smart, someone can be really intelligent, but not be very wise. Someone can be very, uh, very intelligent, know a lot of things, but at the same time be, be kind of foolish, right? I think about my, my granddad. I was talking to my mom last night, um, and I was thinking about my granddad, and he was probably the smartest person I know, probably, probably the wisest person that I've, that I've known. Um, and, and he only went to school, I think, through maybe eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. He didn't have a lot of education, right? But he was, he was wise. He was a farmer, and so a lot of, lot of times he had to kind of work on equipment or work on uh, tractors or work on engines and that kind of thing. And if he didn't have the parts he needed to, make, to, to actually fix something, he could, he could come up with a way just to make it work temporarily until he could get the right part. He, he, w he was so wise in, in, in knowing how things went together and how things fit together and how to, how, how to make something out of, out of, out of nothing. Um, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a, uh, a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Some of you may have read his book, uh, The Case for Christianity. It's the, it's the first section of Mere Christianity, if, you, if you've ever read Mere Christianity. The first book in that series is called The Case for Christianity. And, and he says that, he's talking about instincts, he's talking about the moral law, talking about natural law, and he's talking about instincts. He says we all have instincts, right? And he says instincts, though, are like the keys on a, on a piano. Instincts are like the keys on a piano. We have these instincts, and at sometimes on a piano, that note is the right note. At other times, that note is the wrong note, right? It depends on the sheet music, 
And he says the sheet music is like the moral law or natural law that tells us when to, when to play which note, when to use which instinct. And this is kind of how, how I think about wisdom, right? If, if, if we're witnessing, if we're standing outside and there's a building that's on fire, we're going to have, and, and there's someone trapped inside of that building, we're going to have multiple instincts at the same time. Right? We're going to want to go in and save that person that's in there. We're also going to want to keep ourselves safe. right? And so how do we know when to do what? Well, that's, that's wisdom. Wisdom is how we know when to do what. It's putting into practice uh, the knowledge that we, that we have. And, and he says if, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, I think we all would probably confess that we all lack wisdom. right? I, I would confess that I do. I think we all would, that we lack wisdom. But there's another aspect to wisdom. So that's one aspect to wisdom, knowing when to do what. But there's another aspect to wisdom, I think, specifically to our passage here this, this morning. And, and another way for us to think about wisdom would be uh, having a right perception or having a right perspective on what's happening to us. And, and, and specifically having God's perspective, having God's perception, seeing things from, God, seeing things from God's point of, of view. Wisdom is, is seeing things the way that God sees them. And I think that's why, that's why James brings wisdom up here in chapter 5, or verse 5. This is why, why he even brings up wisdom. Where does, where does this topic of wisdom come from? Well, look back at, look back at verses 2 through 4. In 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Well, in verse 4 he says that the, um, if, if we let trials have their, have their full effect, they produce steadfastness in us, and then steadfastness eventually produces maturity, right? And he says that so that the definition of maturity is so that we lack nothing. And then in verse 5, he starts with, if you do lack something, if you lack wisdom, then what should you do about it, right? And, and one of the ways that, that we can let steadfastness have its full effect, notice he doesn't say if you have trials, trials produce steadfastness, and then steadfastness produces maturity. That's not what he says. He says trials produce steadfastness, and then if you let steadfastness have, it, have its full effect, then we become mature. Well, how is it that we let steadfastness have its full effect I, I think the beginning of it is we need wisdom. We need, we need to see things the way that God sees them. We need to see trials and temptations and, and these things that are happening to us. We, we need to see them from God's point of view in order for them to have their full effect in, in our lives. How do we count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds? Well, we, it, trials can only become a joy to us if we truly see them from God's point of view. Otherwise, that doesn't even make sense, right? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be joyful in a, in a trial unless we are aware that that trial is doing something good. Even though it may be bad, it's producing something good. That's how we can have trial in it. By, that's how we can have joy in it, by knowing and realizing and, and, and perceiving that the testing of faith really is producing steadfastness in us, and that steadfastness really, really is going to have its full effect and, and, and make us mature in Christ, complete, lacking in Nothing. Only by seeing these trials that, that produce these good things in us from God's point of view can we, can we do these things. Can the trials have this effect on us? And again, it's easy to say, right? It's easy to talk about, but sometimes it's hard to do when it comes in real life. 
He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, and, and, and we said that we do, then what should we do? Well, that's what he tells us in the next part of verse 5. He says, you should ask. You should ask. That's point number two. We should, our wisdom requested. Wisdom needed. Now, now he tells us if we need it, we should request. We should ask God. Simply ask God. That, that's pretty simple, right? He doesn't say if you lack wisdom, go get a, get a four-year degree or go to master's, uh, you know, go to graduate school and get a master's degree. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say spend hours and hours and hours even studying the Bible, right? He doesn't say those things. He says if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask God. Ask God for it. Pretty, pretty simple, but it requires humility. It requires humility. It requires us to admit and confess that, that we need that. And it also requires us to admit and confess that we can't meet that need ourselves, right? If we're asking God to give it to us, that means that I need it and I can't do it myself. I need God to do it for me. And so we, and so we ask. Now, in, in one sense, that, that is really simple, right? In one sense, it's simple. We just ask God and, and it's done. But in another sense, it's not so simple. Listen to what James says, the same, same author, same book, I'm just going to flip over my Bible one page to chapter 4. Listen to what James says in, in chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Listen to, listen to this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, well, that fits pretty well with, with verse 5, right? If you... The reason we don't have wisdom is because we haven't asked for it. And if we don't have it, we should ask for it. The reason you don't have is because you do not ask. But wait a minute, listen to verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So in chapter 4, James says, yeah, the reason you don't have is because you haven't asked. But some of you have asked and you haven't received because you asked wrongly. So the answer is pretty simple. Just ask God, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because apparently there's a wrong way to ask, and if there's a wrong way to ask, then hopefully there's a right way to ask, right? Hopefully there's a right way to ask. And so we're going to come back to the, to the rest of, chapter, of uh, verse 5 here in a few minutes, but, but let's skip down to verse 6, and let's look at the right way to ask. He says if we lack wisdom, we have to ask God, but how do we ask? Verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith without doubting. Let him ask in faith without doubting. So step one in asking, the correct way is to ask faithfully, to ask in faith without doubting. Now, I don't, when he says this, I don't think he's talking about doubting in, in general, okay? Because we're human, because we're sinners, uh, because we don't understand everything uh, perfectly, because we're often foolish, it's somewhat natural for us to have doubts, Okay? Um, especially at different times in life, especially in, in the midst of trials when, when things are, are not going well, it, it's natural for us to, to have some doubts about what's going to happen, have some doubts about how things are going to turn out, have some doubts about what should we do, how should we act, how should we respond. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Um, the, the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are full of people um, expressing their doubts or their questions or their concerns to God. So I, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's talking about is don't doubt in the sense that we're not believing or trusting in God. 
Don't doubt in the sense that we're not believing or trusting in, in God. One commentator says this. He says, the problem is not intellectual doubt, that we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know enough. The, the problem is not intellectual doubt, but moral and spiritual commitment, the devotion of our whole loyalty to the Lord. The doubting he's talking about here is we have to ask trusting him, believing him, not, 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 not doubting him. We believe and we trust that God is who he says he is, right? We believe and we trust and we ask believing and trusting that he is able to provide what we need. We ask believing and trusting that he's willing to provide what we need. Prayer is not this, prayer is not this bargain that, that, we, that we do with God. It's, it's, not a, it's not us trying to get the, the, the better of someone. Right? I, I hate buying cars, and one of the reasons I hate buying cars is because I don't know anything about buying cars. Right? I don't know enough about finances to understand the, the payments and the, all that kind of stuff and the interest rate. I don't, I don't know enough to understand those things. Right? I don't know what the car's worth to begin with, especially if it's a used car. You don't know what's wrong with it or what's not. And, and it's such, such, a, such a, a stressful thing for me because you never know if you're getting something for a good deal or if you're getting something and you're paying way too much for it and you're getting ripped off. You, you, you don't ever know, right? And so you go into, the, into this, this uh, car buying experience and you're trying to, trying to kind of deal with the, with the salesman. And he tells you what the car's worth and, or what he wants to sell it to you for and your, your first thought is, well, that's way too much or else he wouldn't be asking that. So I'm gonna offer him something way lower than that and maybe we'll meet somewhere in the middle around what's, what's right. But there's this, this bargaining that happens, right? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you this if you take that off. Or, or, and, but that's not how prayer works. We're not... We're not bargaining with, with God, right? The same thing with mechanics. I hate going to mechanics because of the same thing. You don't know if what they're telling you is right or not, unless you know a lot about cars. You don't know if what they're saying is true. You don't know if they're overcharging you for something that they didn't even do, right? That, that's one thing I, I love about Brad Overstreet. You go to have, have your car worked on by him, and you know that you can trust him and know that he's giving you a good deal and, and, and telling you what's right. That's not how prayer is. Prayer is not us trying to to, to get something over on God. It's not us making a, making a deal with God, right? I, uh, I, I don't know if it's because of coronavirus or why, but uh, back a few weeks ago, I signed up for Netflix, right? I'd never had Netflix before. I got Netflix a few weeks ago. And I've been watching a couple of shows on there. I've been watching some other things, but I've been watching a couple of shows on there. I watch them usually in the morning when I'm getting dressed, getting ready for work. Um, Cold Case Files is one of them. And, uh, but I've watched all those. There's only one season of that on there. So I've watched all those already. And so now I'm, I'm having to watch Forensic Files. I'm not having to, like it's worse, but now I'm watching Forensic Files, right? And, and one of the things that's frustrating about those shows, especially the Cold Case Files show, is that, you know, it's about somebody got murdered 20 years ago and they never knew, figured out who did it. And now they've got new technology, new things they can do. And, and so now they're going to find out, right? And one of the frustrating things is that sometimes at the end of the episode, you'll know who did it. They'll be able to prove who, I mean, they'll, they'll know for sure who did it, but they won't be able to prove it, right? Because maybe a witness, uh, maybe a witness passed away and so they can't come to testify anymore or, or for whatever reason, they, they can't prove it. And so they'll go and they'll have a plea deal, right? Where we know you committed murder, but we're gonna only charge you with manslaughter, right? If you'll, if you'll admit to it and confess it, then we'll just charge you with this lower crime and you'll only get you know, five years instead of life or, or whatever it might be, right? Prayer's not like that. 
Prayer's not us coming to God and saying, here's what I've got, what have you got? Now let's try to kind of make a, make a transaction, let's trade and, and, and make a deal here. That, that's, not how, that's, not how, that's not how prayer works. That's not how God is. We don't, we don't have to, to approach him with our doubts and, and, and having, having questions in our mind, right? If I go to a mechanic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them my car and say, hey, this is what it's doing. It might be this. Might be, I don't know what it is. And, and I go back, uh, you know, a week later, a few days later, whenever it is, and they say, hey, we did some tests. We found this out. This is what it is. Here, here's how much it's going to cost. And in the back of my mind, I'm kind of questioning, okay, is that reasonable? Does that sound right? Is that about how much I thought it was going to cost? Are they ripping me off? Right? We, we, don't, we don't have to go to God with these kind of doubts in the back of our minds. We don't have to go to God thinking, okay, well, here are my bargaining chips that, that I can offer him and, and, and see what's going to happen. That's not, how, that's not how prayer works. God is not like that. When we go back to verse 5, we're going to see that God's eager to answer our prayers and, and he's eager to do good things for us. So we don't have to approach him in fear like many other religions do, right? M- many religions teach uh, teach their, their followers that in order for God to be pleased with them, in order for God to answer their prayers, in order for God to, to do things for them, they have to follow the right rituals or they have to make the, the right sacrifice or say the, say the right words in, the, in, in exactly the, the, the right way in order to get God to answer them. But that's not how God really is. God's already offered the perfect sacrifice. God's already sent his son, Jesus, to, to make us right with him. Right? That sacrifice, the sacrifice of his son Jesus, makes him pleased with us. So I don't have to go offering something to him as a bargain for him to do something for me. God's eager to do good things for us. God's eager to answer our prayers. If we go to him and ask him for, uh, for wisdom, and we do that believing and trusting that he's going to answer us, and that he's able to answer us, and that he's willing to answer us, we don't have to be questioning God's, God's goodness in that. We should go in confidence, trusting him. Most of the Psalms I mentioned before were some of the Psalms we have the psalmist expressing doubts and questions and concerns and that kind of thing, right? In most of those Psalms, those questions and concerns are kind of at the beginning, but by the end of the Psalm, the psalmist is expressing his trust in God. Even though I don't know how these things are are working out, even though I have these questions, even though I'm worried about these things, even though I look around me and I see certain things happening and it doesn't seem right, Yet in the end, I'm trusting that God is doing what's right. Yet in the end, I'm trusting that God is doing the right thing, the just thing. And, and, and that's how we come to him in prayer, right? We, we need wisdom. I've got these trials happening in my life. I've got these things going on that are, that are bad, and I, and I don't understand how they're working out. And I, I know that the word says they're going to be for my good, but I don't see how in the world this could work out for my good. And, and yet, God, I'm trusting that it will. Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a well-known pastor from England back, uh, back some time ago, he, he said this. This is, this is so good. Listen up. He said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. What what he means is, if you don't understand that, what he means is when we cannot trace his hand, when we can't see or understand exactly what God's doing, we can't see or understand exactly how God's working, we can still trust his heart. We can still trust his character. Even if I don't understand what God's doing in this situation, in this trial, in in this bad time in my life, I don't understand what's happening, and yet I know that God is good, 
And so I know he must be doing something good. And, and I can trust that. And so I go to God in prayer trusting that. I go to God in prayer in faith not doubting that. Not that I don't have questions, not that I don't have doubts, not that, not, not that I'm not worried or anxious or have concerns, but I'm not doubting that. I'm not doubting God's character. I know that God is good, and I know that he will be good to me. That's, I think, what he means by doubting. He goes on in, in verse 6, he says, that person, the person that, that doubts, the one who comes doubting God's character that way, he says that person will not receive anything from the Lord. James says God's not going to answer that person's prayer. And that, that may seem kind of odd to you, that God would not answer someone's prayer, but we don't have to wonder why because James tells us. He goes on in, in verse 6 or, or verse, uh, verse 8. He says that person, the reason God's not answering that person's prayer is because he's double-minded. Or another way to, to, to translate that same word, another way to think about that is he's double-hearted or double-souled. Double he's double-minded. He's unstable in all of his ways. This is a man who's, the, the man who comes to God doubting him, doubting his character. This is a man whose soul or mind is divided between faith on the one hand and the world on the other hand. He's a, he's a fence straddler, one commentator says. And some of y'all have read... Um, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. We had a, a book study on that back some time ago. And, and you, if you know that book, it's, a, it's an allegory, and he's, he's, uh, but, he, but it's very straightforward, and he's using these uh, names of people and, and things in a very straightforward way so that you can, most, in most cases, understand exactly what he's talking about. And so this person, he names this person Mr. Facing Both Ways. The double-minded man, Mr. Facing Both Ways. Right? He, he, he can't decide. He's, he's, he's believing in God, but at the same time, he's doubting God's character. He, he's, he's wanting to follow God, but at the same time, he's wanting to follow the, the world. This is the opposite of the one who is being complete or perfect or mature in, in verse 4. One commentator says this. He says, these are people who are unwilling to let go of the world and truly follow Christ, torn between sin and obedience reluctant to let go of the pleasures of the world for the sake of discipleship. He goes on to say this description hits kind of close to home in an age of nominal Christians who attend church from time to time, perhaps even regularly, but who refuse to let God interfere with their daily lives and goals. So if this is who that person is, he's this double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, who's doubting God's character, not sure if he can trust God or not trust God, why would God not answer his prayer? How is, that a, how is that an explanation for why God's not answering his prayer? The answer, I think, is because he's not really praying. This double-minded man who's facing both ways and he's unsure if he can trust God or and he's still trying to live in the world, this person is not really, he's not really praying. The essence of prayer, what it means to pray, is to call on God trustingly, to call out trustingly to, to God. If someone is not settled on and, and certain that, that God is real and that, that his character is what he says it is, then he's not really praying to God. He might be talking to, to some hypothetical person. He might, be, uh, he, he might just be kind of calling out to, 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 to whatever, kind of expressing this wishful idea. 
but he's not crying out to the, to the God that's revealed in the Bible. He's not, he's not convinced that that God even exists. He's not calling out to the God that he trusts is able and willing to answer and intervene in his life. He's not calling out to the God that has proven himself trustworthy in his life time and time again. He's not calling out to the God who he only knows as the Savior of his sins in Christ. God will not answer that person, I don't think, because he's not calling out to him. He's not really praying to him, right? When I, was, when I was a little kid, I remember one time being at my granddad's house, and a lot of times on the weekends, my brother and I would, would spend the weekends there, and, uh, and we'd ride the tractors with them or in the cotton field or whatever it was. But sometimes we'd be there like on a Sunday or something. My granddad didn't normally work on Sundays, and we would just be kind of playing around the, around the farm, right? And we'd oftentimes get up in the tractors, and we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be playing in the tractors, pretending like we're driving them, shifting the gears, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and they had, the, the tractors had CBs in them, or the, the ton truck had CBs in them, and so they could talk to one another while they were working, and often we would, you know, turn those on and, and play with them and talk to each other. I'd be in one tractor, he'd be in another, and we'd, you know, talk to each other over the CB playing. One time we were doing that, and uh, my, one of my uncles answered, and we didn't even know he was listening. He was in his own truck that had a, had a CB in it, and he, was, he could hear everything we were saying, and, 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 and but I didn't believe that he was listening, right? If I had known that he was listening, I probably wouldn't have maybe said some of the things I did say. I don't remember, but probably that, that might have been the case. But, but I, wasn't, I wasn't calling out to him on the radio because I didn't even think he was there. I didn't even believe that he was listening, right? That, that's like the double-minded man. He may be calling out. He may be voicing his need for help, but he's not calling out to anyone because he doesn't think anybody's listening. And God says he doesn't answer those kind of prayers. When we, when we ask God for wisdom, we ask, he tells us to ask in faith without doubting. Because if we doubt his character, we doubt his, his goodness, we're like this double-minded man who's just kind of grasping at straws. Y'all might have heard the story of the man that fell off the cliff and, and he fell um, maybe 15 feet or so and, and grabbed onto a tree, like a tree branch or a root that was growing out and grabbed onto it and was holding onto it. He's about 15 feet, you know, down from the top of the cliff, so he can't climb up, and he's still a, a good distance from the bottom, so he can't, or the valley or whatever, so he can't, he can't drop down, and so he, he yells out, help, is anybody up there? And, and God answers him, and, and God, he, he, you know, he tells God what's happened, tells God this predicament, and, and God says, just let go, and I'll make sure you land safely, right? And the man looks down and sees how far down it is, and he looks back up and says, is anybody else up there? Right? He's just calling out for help because he needs help. He's hanging on this limb. He can't get down. But he's not trusting in God. He's not willing to believe God's character and trust God's character. And so he's this double-minded man that God's not going to answer. He's like a wave of the sea, James says. He's tossed to and fro by the wind. One of the, uh, one of the commentators I was reading was talking about being on Lake Michigan one time, and he said that he was in a boat, and, and, the, and the water got real rough, and he said, because Michigan, because Lake Michigan is a lake, it's not a, it's not a, a river or an ocean, it's, it's a lake, and because of that, there's not really any, any kind of consistent wave pattern. And I don't know anything about that, but I take his word for it. And so he said when he was in this boat, the waves were, you know, several stories high, and, and sometimes they would come to, to the boat from the front, and sometimes they would come from the back, and sometimes they would come from the sides, and sometimes even they were kind of swirling around. 
and there's, there was no real, real uh, pattern to it, and they were just kind of tossed everywhere, right? And perhaps James is, was used to, to being on the Sea of Galilee, which is it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's really a, a lake, a big lake like, like Lake Michigan. And so perhaps that's kind of what he had in mind here when he said this person is just kind of tossed every which way and doesn't know, doesn't know what's going on. He's just grasping at whatever he can think of or whatever he can find. So James says that we need wisdom. He says when we do need wisdom, we should ask, and we should ask in a certain way. And then going back up to verse 5, he tells us that if we do ask this way, God will answer. If we do ask this way, God will answer. The person who's asking God in faith, believing and trusting that he's listening and that he's willing and able to answer and intervene, he finds that God does answer. He finds that God does give wisdom. He says, let him ask God who gives generously, without reservation, right, without holding back. Uh, another way to think about this word in, in the Greek is with a, with a singular focus, kind of the opposite of the double-minded man. The double-minded man is kind of everywhere, but God is lasered in, single focus, generously giving all that we need if we just ask, trusting, believing that he will answer in Matthew chapter 7 that uh, uh, Drew read earlier, Jesus says that, that, that we can trust that God will give generously because that's his character, that's his nature. He, he, he is giving, he is generous, he is gracious, he is the God who provides for his people. Matthew says if, 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 if earthly fathers give good gifts to their sons, think about how good the heavenly father is to his sons and daughters. In Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul tells us, he reminds us that if God's already given us uh, the greatest need that we had, if he's already given us his son to meet our greatest need, how much more will he give us all things? If you come to me and ask for $1,000, don't come to me and ask for $1,000, but if you come to me and ask for $1,000 and I have $1,000, hopefully I'll give it to you, right? Well, if I've already given you $1,000, if you need 50 cents to buy a coat downstairs today, you shouldn't be afraid to come ask for that, right? If I'm willing to, to give you a thousand, not, surely I'm willing to give you 50 cents. And that's, that's, that's what Paul says about God. He's already met our greatest need in Jesus. How much more will he meet every other need that we have? We can trust him to give us all things that we need for completing his purpose, including, including wisdom. And then he says he's going to give generously to all. Really, to all? To everybody? Well, I, I think we can make a distinction here because he's already said there's a wrong way to ask. He's not going to give to the double-minded man, right? He's not going to give to the person who asked wrongly. So, so when we think about how he's going to give generously to all, we should think, think about it this way. He's not going to give to everyone, but he's going to give to anyone, right? He's not going to give to everyone because if you ask wrongly, that, that, that prayer is not going to be answered. But he's willing to give to, to anyone. Smart people or not smart people, right? Old people, young people. Good people, bad people. People that wear masks and people that refuse to wear masks, right? UK fans and L fans. He'll give to anyone if we come asking rightly. Sex or gender doesn't matter. He gives freely to men and women both. Nationality doesn't matter. He gives freely to... Americans and Ecuadorians and 
Mexicans and Tarahamara people that, that we've worked with in Mexico, the French, the North Africans that Chris and Chrissy Underwood are working with. Race doesn't matter. He's doing this to all that come to him in faith, trusting that he is who he is and he's able to do what he says he will do. We should be like God, by the way. God's generous in the way that he gives toward all people that come to him. We should be like God in this way. We should be generous to all people who need the gospel. We shouldn't have ideas or pictures in our mind of what a, what a quote, savable person looks like. God can save anyone. And we should give the gospel indiscriminately like that. It doesn't matter how they act. It doesn't matter what they talk like. It doesn't matter what someone dresses like. We shouldn't write anyone off as being too bad or too dirty or too different. And we should be generous with our church as well. Welcome any that are trusting in the Lord Jesus. Welcome any that are being saved by his blood. And not only, not only welcome them to be uh, a, a part of our church, but, but welcome them to, to actually get involved in the church, to participate in ministries, to speak up and be listened to at members' meetings, to serve on committees, to be open to the Lord calling anyone to serve as a deacon, to serve as an elder, pastor. And then finally, he says that God will give without reproach. He gives generously to all without reproach, even when reproach is deserved, right? Even when we're at fault for the need. God gives generously to those people who need wisdom because they were foolish before, right? He gives without reproach. He doesn't rub it in our face that we need something from him. This is an unbelievable story, but it's absolutely true. Back some, some years ago, this kind of makes me look a little bit bad, but please don't look at me bad. Back some years ago, I went through a, through a couple of years where I had four wrecks in, in a row, okay? And not only did I have four wrecks in a row, but I totaled four cars in a row, okay? And, uh, and this, this, is, this is a crazy story, but it's absolutely true. I was working at a, at a Christian private school, okay? And I was driving this truck. Actually, the first car that I totaled had already been totaled once before because someone rear-ended me and totaled it, and I just kept driving it because it was still drivable for a few years. But then I rear-ended someone else, and it, then it was done, right? A family in the church gave me a car for free, okay? And I drove that car for me. <laughs> this makes me look bad, but please don't think bad of me. I drove that car for maybe six or eight months, and I rear-ended someone and totaled that car. Listen, this is true. The same family gave me another car. That's true. And I drove that car for a while. I didn't total that one. That one, the transmission went out. Okay? And when the transmission went on that car, another family in the school sold me a car for like 400 bucks that was worth well, well more than that, right? That's giving generously without reproach. I should have been reproached, right? Someone gave me a free car and I totaled it just because I wasn't paying attention and rearing to somebody. It's not like it was, it was my fault, right? But that's giving generously without reproach. James says if we need wisdom, we should ask God in the right way, trusting, believing that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, and that he'll give freely to all, generously without reproach. We're about to sing our, our final song here today, and um, 
and we'll be finished with our service, but, but this is a time for you to kind of reflect on what James says. Maybe, maybe there's some kind of trial that you're going through right now. Maybe there's something difficult that you're facing right now. It could be because of the coronavirus. Maybe, maybe you know, different things have happened. We know people whose weddings have been postponed and, and messed up. We know people who's, uh, who, who have had people in their family pass away and they were not able to, to attend a funeral uh, because of it. Maybe you know someone who is sick with the virus. Maybe you know someone who's died from the virus. Maybe you're laid off from work and, and, and just your finances are really messed up because of it. And, and you don't know what God's doing. You don't know how that's working for your good. Trust, trust him. Ask him to give you wisdom to understand. Maybe there's something going on in your family. Maybe there's, a, there, there's some kind of division in your family and, and, and you're heartbroken over it. Maybe there's a problem in, in, in your marriage or something going on with your children. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong with your finances and, and it's not because of coronavirus. Maybe it's because of your own fault and because you made some foolish decisions and, and now you're in this mess financially. God gives wisdom to you even without reproach, freely. A- ask him for it. Maybe, maybe things are just not the way that you expected them to be. Maybe things, you're at a point in your life and you're kind of looking back over your life and, 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 and this is just not the way you want it to be. It's not the way you expected it would be at this point in your life. Pray to God. Ask him for wisdom. Maybe there's some kind of sin or temptation that you're struggling with and, and you really are struggling with it and you're, and you're really, really trying to fight it, but it's something that, that you just can't seem to overcome. Maybe there's some kind of historical something in your life that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago and you just haven't been able to get over it. Even now, looking back over that long of a time, you, you just can't figure out how it is that God's using that for your good. Pray to him and seek wisdom. Ask him for it. And he'll, he'll give it to you generously, without reproach, freely. As I was thinking about this this week and kind of studying this passage this week, I was, I was, I was led to, to, to begin thinking about the cross. Right? Because I think of, of Paul... Where he's talking about the cross, the, the, the son of God coming down and, and then being killed on a cross and how he says that that is a stumbling block to Jewish people and it's a, uh, he says it's foolishness to Gentile people. Maybe you're somebody that's been attending church for a while. Maybe you're somebody that's never been here before. Maybe you're somebody that's never been to any church before. Maybe you're, you, you've been thinking about it for years and years and years. And, and you want to believe and you, you, want to, you want the cross to be true, you want Jesus to be true, but, but you just can't understand how that could be true. It's, it's foolishness to you. Pray that God will give you wisdom to understand that as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we thank you for, for James. God, we thank you for the promise of of wisdom. And, and God, I confess, we confess that each of us needs wisdom in our lives. And God, I pray that you would answer our prayers. God, I pray that we would pray for wisdom and ask you and trust that, that you will answer that prayer. And God, I pray that you would honor your word, even as we know you will, as, you were, as your word says, and give it to us generously and without reproach, and that we might understand what you're doing. And God, I pray that we would not just be super wise people, 
the purpose here is that we would have wisdom so that we would understand what's going on so that then we would let steadfastness have its full effect and we would become mature in Christ. And God, we pray that you would do that in our lives, pray that you would do that in our church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get ready to uh, sing the last song, I'll be down here. If anybody wants to come up, we can uh, talk about wisdom. If you want, want someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. If, you've, uh, if, if you're that person that's, that, that's been struggling with the gospel for, for some time, and you haven't believed, but you kind of want to believe, or you're not sure, I'd love to talk to you about that too. And, and perhaps you're somebody that's been attending here for a while, that, that's, uh, that, that's been around for, for some time, and you want to make this your church home, want to make me and the other pastors your pastors. We would love to talk to you about that this morning as well.